This is the Alpha Human Podcast, and I am your host, Lawrence Rosenberg. Our guest today is Dan Walshmit. He is a former tech CEO who now runs Edgy, a Silicon Valley-based consulting firm that specializes in business turnarounds and whose story has been profiled in Business Insider, the BBC, Fox News, the Today Show. He is also the force behind one of the most read sales blogs in the world, Edgy Conversations, which the Wall Street Journal calls one of business's most influential sites and which the Dow Jones has ranked as the seventh most visited sales blog on the internet. Dan is also an ultra marathon runner who competes in 100 mile plus races, and he is only the 10th person to ever run the Mount Everest Challenge. Dan's book, Edgy Conversations, How Ordinary People Can Achieve Outrageous Success, is an international bestseller and tells inspirational stories of how everyday average people can go on to reach amazing heights. Dan, welcome to the show. I can't, uh, can you hear me? Oh, I was just saying uh, th thank you for the <laughs> thank you for the uh, the wonderful intro. Clearly, you did your uh, you you did your research on all the things. <laughs> Got I had to leave a few things out there. So much research on you, um, but uh, no, it's great. I tell you what, it's great to have you on the show. I'm super excited about this uh, because I'm a big fan of your content. Love your blog, and you know. I you are at heart, from what I've learned about you, uh, you are at heart, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but at heart, at your, ver at your very roots, you're a highly successful sales leader. And there are legendary stories floating around out there about how you go about the business of prospecting and getting- Oh, no, gosh. <laughs> no, listen, um, you, 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 there is, there is a story out, out there about how you go about reaching the unreachable, right? Going after, you know, the, the whales, uh, the CEOs yeah. of some amazing companies. And uh, personally, I, I have been training salespeople to get meetings for 25 years, but mostly by getting them on the phone or, or by email, but you, You've taken things to a creative level that most never even contemplate. And that blew me away when I heard about it. And I think this would be a really cool way to start the conversation. So can you tell us a bit about how you go out there and, and really get these unreachable people? So, you know, I have to blame my good buddy, Stu. Yeah, that's you know, blame. That's right. You you know you 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 don't. I should have learned you don't talk to journalists because journalists have this way of like scribbling notes while they're looking at you. They're they're scribbling notes, and you're just happy that you have a friend to talk to, and you're chatting and chatting, and then pretty soon uh, they write a book and you're profiled in it, and all of a sudden people are saying, "Oh my gosh." I saw your story, and you're the guy going, huh, what are you talking about? And uh, actually, Stu sent me a, a, a copy and asked my permission to print it. But um, uh, it, it is kind of fascinating. If you're wondering what, uh, what we're talking about, I actually probably – let me show you something here. So um, in my office here, I actually have this crazy beast right here. So this is the only one left. So – you know, I realize that in sales, you know, in business, we often use these um, kind of really clever words, you know, green ocean uh, or, you know, greenfield project, meaning it's fresh. We'll say blue ocean. But most of the time when you're in business, it's, it's really a battle and a fight. So I had a company, a Hollywood company called Strong Blade, make a whole series of these weapons. This is old. You can see it's even, this has been weathered just by time. Right, um, and it has a, it's a quote, and uh, engraved here on the blade. And this is actually you can't tell from holding with one hand, but this is actually like pretty, pretty, pretty heavy, pretty heavy. And then with a custom made leather sheath that's actually real leather, real heavy, 
and it could be used, you know, for, I guess, a, a prop battle. Of course, if I scoot back, you can see this is a full-length sword. So I would, I would um, send a, a CEO who might be struggling a sword, and it might be engraved with a quote, like a Tupac quote or something, wars may come and go, but my people are eternal, or something like this. And then I would say, you know, uh, let me know how I could help you in the battle, or the final head. And I think it was such a... Uh, kind of a shock, a a, a such a a uh, like cutting through all the crap that I would get calls immediately. And what's interesting is, yeah, sure, each one costs hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars to hand make right. uh, and be commissioned. The result is almost instantaneously a meeting, and not just a meeting, but this sense of like this guy gets me right, an instant ability. To uh, for me to to get a meeting with whoever I want to get a meeting with. By the way, one of my most top famous ones that I thought of was my uh, uh, this this female became the most powerful person in one of the largest healthcare companies in the world, and I sent her an engraved sword that had like Swarovski crystals in it and things like that. So it was a little little more uh, feminine, not as uh, you know, not as uh, macho, <laughs> but you know. Right on the wall when you came into this very high-powered person's office, you would see this kind of weapon uh, you know, on a plaque beautifully displayed. It kind of sets a tone that, look, this is a battle, this is a war, and I'm here to do business. It certainly worked. It certainly worked. And I've done – I've given out all kinds of crazy stuff over the years, everything from bidets you know, that you can bolt onto your toilet, and I'll send a handwritten note that says, let me help you clean up your mess, to any number of things, whether silly – or serious that allow me to, to kind of cut through the conversation and get a meeting with, with the person that I think I can help. That's absolutely just, you know, I, that's, that's next level. Um, when it comes to the chutzpah, uh, you know, and the creativity to do something like that, um, as well as to make the investment. And, you know, I, I want, in a moment, I'm going to want to go back and figure out how the hell you got to that place, um, because there's a there's there's a whole journey that gets us there. But I, while we're on the subject, I got to ask, how do you qualify? Like, if you're qualifying a prospect, like, how do you qualify? You know, for the the thousand dollar sword, right? Like, I mean, what's that? What does that look like? Well, I mean, to put it in perspective. Um, that client ended up paying me, um, you know, somewhere in the range of, if I was on a retainer for about a million dollars a year to help them as a senior consultant, senior advisor mm -hmm. at the very top levels of that organization. And so how do you qualify? I don't know. Sometimes you get it wrong, but you, someone who's going through something that I can empathize with and I can solve, I can solve that problem. Boom message sent, message delivered. So you're, so, I mean, clearly like, like any great sales pro, you're spending time doing the research to uncover, you know, the, the, the right type of prospect that is, that is going to be open to that message. So I, I can oh, only. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, there's sometimes I'll tell people I'm really fucking good at what I do. Now that is a really, that's an interesting wording. Some people are immediately turned off. How dare you curse? You know, right now, instantly, you're, you wouldn't have hired me anyways. So it's almost a natural, you know, separation, a fork in the road I'm placing mm. by just the words I use cause some people to go, you know, uh, no, you're not the right person for us. Um, and so, you know, it's just a, it, 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 it provides clarity for them and for me. See, if, if they are one of our people, I want them to know that first and then just say, hey, let's talk. That then lets me know that it's a good fit on the other side of the equation. Yeah, fantastic. So, okay. So to get to the point where you're sending out $1,000 swords engraved with, you know, really catchy uh, uh, quotes uh, and, you know, really captivating a CEO of a major company to take a meeting with you, there's a whole journey where you started somewhere many years ago where you know you were a salesperson, or maybe not even a salesperson before that, 
but I'd love to hear, and everyone listening to the show would love to hear your story. I know you'd love to tell the stories of others who, you know, came from nowhere and did something amazing. We'd love to hear your story. Yeah, you're kind of boxing me into a corner. I always feel like, you know, there's so many other more uh, interesting stories. Um, you know, after a, um, if you're listening on, to, listening into a conversation with me and my therapist, it would be just as, you know, I, I might tell you something like this, you know. Um, you know, I started selling, you know, when I was probably a young boy, I started mowing lawns at 12 paid my way through college through the money I'd saved up all through my teenage years. Um, and, um, and, and then from 19 began, you know, selling, uh, selling my way into my first job, which is at an appliance store. I convinced the owner to, instead of just letting me sweep the parking lot for a minimum wage, if I could begin the, the, the craft of installation, here I am as this young punk, uh, getting my first job, uh, uh, you know, as a teenager. And then, you know, I, I learned early on that like the fastest way for me to make money was to be in sales, right? Um, no other craft allowed me to like, for the number of hours in the day, I could make more per hour selling than just about anything else in the world. Um, you know, I mean, a good sales guy makes thousands of dollars an hour, uh, makes way more than, um, you know, even the most highest prized attorney, right? Highest priced attorney in the world. Uh, we in selling who do our job well and make a lot more money than that. But, um, uh, you know, I, at 19, I started selling. I had jobs selling everything from home products to air conditioning systems to cemetery plots uh, to uh, life, life and health insurance um, to, 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 to a couple really big opportunities that I was able to help grow really magnificently. One was a was a law technology company that I was I was talking about serendipity. I was I was at a company that was growing um, small, very small, but grow had potential to grow. Let's say they weren't growing at the time, but had potential to grow in an industry that was about ready to, ready to explode. And I don't know whether it was a gut instinct, but I saw the potential jumped into it and from a couple hundred thousand to, to millions of dollars in, in, in just a year, and then more millions and millions in that, that then eventually ended up being CEO of that and, 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 uh, and, and ended up selling the company. Um, and then now, now, um, let's just say, when I became CEO, I became, I learned I was selling in a different way. Instead of selling externally, now I'm selling uh, vision. I'm selling growth. I'm selling new ways to evolve to a team that's tired from the high impact, that's kind of worn out. I'm entering this new phase and, and, and how to, to, uh, to really inspire people to be their best self when they're just too tired, right? They're already worn down uh, to be their best self, right? They're just, they're just fatigued. So, um, that's probably less less uh, of an interesting story than you might imagine. What I would say is this: from selling, you know, my my story of selling is is that I'm in my I'm doing my best work now. I'm doing my best work now, and here's why: because no matter what I've been selling or where I've been doing that selling, I'm learning and growing, and just continuing to round out the rough edges. I never thought of myself as a you know negotiator, one of these guys who gets in a room and pounds stuff out. But I have to tell you, heading into 41 years of living, I am now pretty good at just going, look, let's cut through all the crap. Here's what you want. Here's what we want. Let's figure out how we make this work, right? And it's not fake and it's not phony. It comes from a spot of experience and, and losing, losing enough times to, to know how to win really, really, really big. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, um, you're very humble because, I mean, to many people, um, to go from the sales person, right, the sales role, to CEO of the company, actually, you know, and, you know, then to sell the company, 
Um, yeah. And now to be doing what you're doing, uh, which we'll get into in a moment with Edgy, um, is actually a pretty incredible ride and a great and, and a great uh, success story, especially if you're getting deals where you're on retainer for a million dollars, you know, in a year. So I think yeah. that's, yeah. I mean, that's the that's the fantasy. Unfortunately, it's a fantasy, but that that is the fantasy of a lot of salespeople who kind of dream of that kind of life, uh, but don't achieve it. Maybe they maybe they do some good six figure um, level yeah. sales as an income, right? So they're making a quarter of a million a year and, and, that's, and that's their threshold, right? But they're dreaming, you know, about something bigger. What, what's the differentiator? What, there's so many, I mean, millions and millions of salespeople will never see your success. And I'd, I'd love to know um, what differentiates you, right? What differentiates Dan Walshmit from, the next salesperson who who dreamed about it but never got there. Yeah, let me also make another comment too. There are many, many, many who are more successful. There are many who are more successful than I'll ever be, than I'll ever dream to be. Um, so, which brings up an interesting point. You have to want it. At the heart of it, I'm reading. Uh, I'm, I'm always reading books as I'm writing. Just got back from work. I'm a little disheveled. Just hopped in the shower. I'm coming here to do this recording with you. Um, you know, you have to want it. And that want has to be all consuming for you. It can't just be like, sure, it would be great to make more money. You, you have to really, really, really in your core want it. Because I'll tell you what, the difference between, you know, that 250000 and the $2 million mark, right? That's, a, that's kind of that jump from one, boom, there's a pretty big jump up, is, is, is what you're willing to do to get it. In, in truth, um, almost everything that stops us from achieving greatness is just an excuse. It really is. Um, people say, oh, well, I can't do that. Or, uh, the reality is we all do a lot of things when we need to, right? If you have to get out of a burning house, it doesn't matter whether you have a broken leg or you're thirsty or whether you haven't slept the night before, if it's time for you to get out of a burning house, you get out of a burning house. And a lot of us, unfortunately, just have it good enough. You know, if you, you have just enough money to be mostly out of debt, saving some, investing some, going on vacation, you have it good enough. And you're not hungry enough to do what it takes to reach that next level. You you know, you... Uh, I've been watching the, um, uh, the, the ESPN documentary 10 part series on Michael Jordan, right? Okay. He, he, he had to have it. It, it, it was, a, it, was a, it was an obsession at like the most obsessed of obsessions. He had to have it. And so he did have it. Look at Kobe. Um, you know, look at, look at the other superstars, you know, of, of past and present. They had to have it. It was something that they were not going to be denied. And it's interesting too, because they evolved as people to get it. So I think one of the things, by the way, that people think is, I, to get that goal, I need to do the same thing I've always done, just be more determined. That's no great athlete did that. Even look at someone like Steph Curry, who's an amazing you know, basketball shooter, just lights up the stadium. He, he had to evolve as a player to get to where he is now. Uh, you know, and, and that's, that's what makes champions. One, they know what they want and they're willing to do it. And then I just have to, I have to tell you, you have to want it more and you have to put in the work. So I remember I started blogging back in 2006. You know, you said some really nice stuff. You threw it out there. I started blogging back in 2006. I was CEO of this company and I just wanted to get my voice as a CEO out there. Just wanted to get it, you know, maybe someone would read, maybe no one would read. I, fast forward to 2014. That's eight years, eight years, right? Mm -hmm. Think about that. Eight years, almost 3000 days. Okay. Put this in perspective, eight years of writing 
And then all of a sudden I wrote this article that, you know, a million plus people wrote, read in two days. And then 2 million people had read and 3 million people had read and then 5 million people. And by the end of it, 30 million people had read my, 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 my blog. It's like anything. It took the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship League, which, you know, uh, ultimate mixed martial arts. Mm-hmm. It took it decades, decades to get to the point where they were even break even. And then what happened? What happened? Well, they had the ultimate, the ultimate fighter and the last show on the ultimate fighter was so memorable that we were like, oh my gosh. And we all lost our minds and became big fans. There are these moments of serendipity where hard, obsessed work and chance taking and guts combines with an opportunity. People say right place, right time. True. But maybe you've been at that place a thousand times before. Maybe you've been at that exact same place a million times before. And, and so one of the phrases I often tell myself as I'm, as I'm pushing through these dark moments is what if today was the day you were supposed to win and you didn't show up? So can you imagine that today was the right place and it was the right time Hmm. and you didn't show up? This was the day you decided, screw it. It's not working. I'm getting up. And so these are some of the things that I've done. The other thing I'll add to this is I've never met a successful person who said to me, you know, I, I wish I would have given up soon. You know, I, I persisted too long. I, I you know, what, what, what do they say? Man, it was dark. It was really dark, really, really, really dark. But, but I don't regret any of it. I would do it all over again because one day the sun came out, it shined, and my whole life changed. Again, the right place meets the right time. So you're obsessed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How, how does so? How does someone become obsessed? Well, how does the serial killers kill? How does the serial killer kill? So this, I mean, so you think about you think about any mental disorder, and it all starts with what you have on your on your background behind you, the mind, mm-hmm. the mind, right? Yep. What we know, and again, let's get dark before we get fun. If we look at if we look really? at really twisted people, right? The Jeffrey Dahmers of the world, the serial rapists, the serial killers. It starts what they starts as a child, you know, you know, doing some really weird, twisted things, you know, killing animals, and you know, and do just really. It starts with what's in your head. So, my theory was, and this is what got me into self help, mm-hmm. personal development was. If these moments, if there are moments in our life that are so traumatic, they alter us. So if I'm kidnapped or, or I'm raped or a family member is murdered or, uh, you know, I have shocking news, we literally can see in your brain that wiring is changed in an instant just from a traumatic event. My, the theory was, well, what if there were something so positive it did the opposite? What I learned is that's what does happen. You might listen to a podcast like this and get jacked up. You're like, great. The problem is if you don't reinforce that with getting jacked up the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day, your, your good intentions go to waste. So, you know, what you think about most, you become. If you're someone who's thinking about all the negative crap going on in the world around you, guess what? You're going to find more negative stuff happening and your life is going to be less than, than, than highly effective. It just is. It just is. When, when you look at elite performers, they only have time to think about things that get them closer to their goal. Even if it's the news, even if it's you know, politics, even if it's good restaurants, even if it's good, you, know, you look at people, you know, uh, uh, you know, Barack Obama, you look at um, you know, the founder of Facebook. They don't even trust themselves. They wear the same thing. Why? They say, they'll say to you, I can't even, I don't even want to spend precious mental brain power thinking about what I'm going to wear. I'm just going to wear the same thing. Just throw on the same pair. I I know I like these pants and I know I like this shirt. Give me 50 of all of them. And that's all I'm going to wear. I'm not even going to waste brain on power on that. Meanwhile, we're sitting here going, huh, maybe. And then we get, we get to the office and we're already mentally depleted because we spent valuable time and energy thinking about things that really don't serve us at all. 
So do you need to be, so it, I guess you need to have a passion for something in order to be obsessed about it? Or can you become, can you will yourself to be obsessed to the degree that you're going to do whatever it takes? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so it's interesting how life makes you change. And in, in, in my father in his mid forties had a high level job in the U S federal government mm-hmm. and nine um, 11 happened and he was running uh, uh, this division of our government that used to be super secretive called the national security agency. And, um, and, and it all of a sudden it exploded. And uh, my father was the deputy director and his life got super stressful and he had a minor heart attack. What instantly happened was, or or I think the way the doctors called it was like a a heart occurrence or something. Um, What happened was he came home and as my mom tells the story, because I was in college, you know, he took the butter and starts throwing it away and the salt. And my mom's like, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. They're throwing away all the ingredients. Like that didn't give you the heart attack. Maybe it was stress. But if you eat healthy along with lack of stress, you know, let your life will be good. What changed for my father? Previously, he had a sweet tooth and he would like the chips and he was snacking here, even though my mom is super healthy, right? He would snack. What changed in an instant was the will, the need to change. So we have people, people like, oh, it's, I can't, it's so hard to change. It's not hard to change at all. Look, you get hit by a bus, you're going to change instantly. It happens in a second, right? Mm-hmm. You know? You, 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 you failed too many grades in college. Guess what? You're going to need to change really, really, really quick. You know, you, you know, the economy goes crazy. Like it just has with COVID. Mm-hmm. You're going to change. People are like, Oh, like, it's so hard to change. It's not hard to change. You'll change in a second. What's hard to change is the need to change. Now, this is why things like meditation, mindfulness, right? Silence are so helpful. We've got phones. I've got two of them right here. Mm-hmm. I've got an iPad here. I've got a computer here. I've got a computer here. I'm looking at, I've got, I'm so we're surrounded by devices and technology and often even find ourselves looking at videos as we watch people stumble into, you know, pools in the middle of a mall because they're looking down, right? Running into walls and all kinds of stuff. So what we don't do is take time to pause and just let the quietness wash over us. We, we, we don't pause to say, did that go the way I wanted to? I mean, one of my sales coaches early on said, after you do a call, mm-hmm. go back to your vehicle and write out your notes on how it went. And what my coach, my mentor, that trainer was teaching me was to be mindful. That's it. Mindful of, did I do my best? What could I have done better? And, and, and so on and so forth. And to be honest with you, I didn't really listen to him. I was like, that's what a waste of time. You know, they're loser clients. They didn't want to buy whatever, move on. It wasn't until one day I thought, you know what? I am tired of losing. I am tired of people telling me now. I'm tired of going in here, busting my ass, and not making money. And one minute, I had satisfied something. The need. The need to change. And then it all became, it all became uh, you know, a, a different story after that. So I, 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 would, I would tell anyone who's like, I, I'm not really an obsessed person. It's not so much about being obsessed. Right. It's about having the need in your life to change. You know, at the beginning of the year, we all need to make New Year's resolutions because there's social pressure to start fresh, to start new. So that need within us causes us to scratch out on a piece of paper something that we want to change. We'll go along with it, but 80% of people don't even persist into February because we no longer need. We no longer need. You have a heart attack. You get really sick. You have cancer. All of a sudden, you need to eat healthy. You might persist for years and years and years and years on a healthy diet because now you need to change. And I think it's finding that need in your life. That need leads to obsession. Yeah, it does. really does. Strong. Yeah, that's great. Um, So, again, I think this kind of dovetails nicely into – uh, what I want to ask you regarding ultra marathons, because certainly you cannot run yeah. 
hundred mile plus races unless you're obsessive. <laughs> unless you're obsessive. Yeah. But so let's talk a little bit about that. First, first and foremost, where did the need arise um, within you to, yeah. to run a hundred mile plus marathon? And, and you have, you've run more than one of them. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I write in my book about this really dark spot I was in my life uh, where I was very suicidal and I was struggling with some mental, mental challenges. Mm-hmm. And to be, frankly, frank, frank, uh, to be frank with you, um, running made me feel better, even though I felt worse. Uh, I, could, I, could, I could get from myself in that moment of extreme pack, uh, agony and pain a relief from the emotional demons that were, that were, that were kind of on my mind. And that's probably not the most sophisticated answer, but for me running fit fit that gap. And then I thought, well, what else could I do? And then what else could I do? And then what else could I do? And it led me to finding these races that were hundred miles. And then it was, how do you run 29,000 feet straight up in the air, you know, to, to, you know, to reach, you know, Everest, you know, so the challenges became greater as I thought, a couple things. One, why can't I do that? Mm-hmm. So let me see if someone else just like, why can't, why can't, they're the same as me. And then what happened was to accomplish that goal, I had to develop new skills, new training in order to be the sort of person who could achieve that goal. And so when people say it's not the destination, it's the journey, that's what they mean. So it's like me going running tonight. I'll run anywhere from 45 to 65 miles a week, every week of my life, right? Okay. Um, it used to be more than 100 miles a week. I just, as a business guy, it's just that those two things don't work. But the, what, what the reality of the situation is this, is that, um, you know, if I'm prepared, if I'm ready, if I'm growing, if I'm thriving as a runner, um, I'm ready for the next challenge, right? So for me, I, I do my miles. I'm prepared for what comes next, what comes next, what comes next. So when did you, so what was the time between you running? Okay. You just deciding you're going to start running till you ran your first marathon, <laughs> not ultra marathon. Yeah. No. So I skipped, I went from running a half marathon to, um, in fact, I'm embarrassed to say it, but on YouTube, there's actually a documentary of me of running my first ultra marathon. I, I went in and tried to run the Lansford Canal. I thought, look, why don't I break the record for running the most miles in 24 hours? Like, how hard can this be? This is how stupid I was. Like, how hard can this be? The most I'd ever run was 13 miles in a row. I thought, oh, come on, these guys are idiots. They don't have enough heart. If they only had more heart and soul and determination, they could do these things. You know, right. you know, the, 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 the body follows the mind. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to beat my body with my mind or whatever. Stupid. Uh, I go to Lansford Canal. I've got a whole team. I've got powder. Um, you know, I, I get there and I've got the video team with me. So I'm going to document doing all this stuff. And I'm running this loop, you know, four miles, five miles, 10 miles. I remember at the end of, uh, how many? There's one spot on the tape where I, it's been nine hours, and I'm like, "This is way harder than I thought it was." I'm speaking to the camera. I'm saying all this stuff. Right. At 71 miles, my body was so dehydrated that literally there was nothing. I mean, I'd lost 15 or 20 pounds. There's just nothing that I could do to keep running anymore. And I, I DNF'd. And in 14 hours, I had run 71 miles. And I remember I left so disheartened. I was just like, what a loser, what a fool, you know, what, you know, who, who does this shit? You know, you sign up for something and you don't finish. And the next day, or maybe it was two days later, my good friend, Anthony Interino called me. He's also somebody you should have on your show, by the way, and a brilliant sales thinker. Okay. He called me and said, said, dude, what's the furthest you've run? I said, I don't know, like 13 miles, 14 miles. Because if you just went from 13 miles to running th- almost three marathons back to back to back, uh, you know, shame on you. Basically, shame on you for talking down about yourself. But what I learned was it wasn't just about going out there, guts and glory. I had to prepare. 
And this, by the way, is where people get things wrong. See, the performance is not in, is not in the race day. The performance is in the practice day. How you practice is how you perform. Uh, they say, you know, practice makes permanent, not perfect, right? <laughs> so the reality is most people say, oh, I don't need to practice my pitch. I don't need to practice, you know, what I'm going to say. I'll, I'll do it. I'll wing it. And these are the same people that are failing time after time after time after time after time. But convincing you, they're going to get it right the next time. No preparation, no practice. And see, when it comes to running, it's a little more pure than that. You can bullshit somebody else and say, oh, it's a bad customer, it's a bad lead, bad sales call, bad timing. But when you're on the road, it's just you, your shorts, your shoes. That's it. There's no excuses. You either perform or you don't perform. There's no in-between, right? It just it is what it is. You can't, you know, there's, there's no excuses. There's a purity to this. That's why I love running so much. It, it really is an individual sport. So when it comes to business or sales, we have a generation of people who, who, one, don't need it bad enough. And then another one who really want it and need it, but aren't doing the hard, uncomfortable work of preparing and practicing and getting ready. Mm-hmm. Those two things, without a need, without the practice and preparation, you'll never achieve the level of greatness that you want. Now, for me, I was stupid enough to try it all at the same time. <laughs> be obsessed and be willing to put in the hours to do it. And what happened was while other people were, were doing 40 hour weeks, I was doing hundred hour weeks mm-hmm. and um, the bad news is you're really tired. The good news is you get a whole bunch of experience really fast, really, really, really fast. So, okay. Um, I, the, the tattoo you have. Yeah. I think that also speaks to, again, a, a, a theme that, that we yeah, see here, right? So talk, talk about the tattoo and what it means, because I've heard this uh, in, 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 in listening to a few uh, interviews that you've, uh, you've yeah. done. Well, I often got asked, and I'm not so public anymore. I was kind of pulled back from doing podcasts and, and, um, and, uh, and speaking events. Um, I used to do 70 or so a year. Now I do three, maybe at most a year. Wow. Um, but pe- people used to ask them the same question time and time again. What advice would you give yourself, uh, your younger self when you were 20? And I, I said it was this word, belief, belief. Believe that you'll figure it out. Believe in yourself. It's easy when you're not sure of the way to assume that somebody else knows the way. You know, uh, and it's, it's, hard, it's, it's, it's hard to, like, be steadfast focused on your goals when you're like, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. And so believe, believe in yourself, believe that hard work works, you know, believe that the crops you sow, you'll harvest tenfold down the line, you know, believe that that kindness wins at the end of the day, believe that determination will get you to where you want to be. And, and, and despite what you may feel in your darkest, darkest, darkest hours, the sun will always come out in the morning. It really will. Um, and that. You know, bad can't stay bad forever, uh, and, uh, and and that you know what you do has a a for sure impact on your results as a human. Mm. If you do good things, you will end up with good things, with a good life. If you do bad things, I'm sorry, you may look like you're winning temporarily. You will have bad things happen. To you. It just it's going to happen. Karmic debt. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and also, there's is there another? Do you have another tattoo there? Of uh, oh yeah, on the inside of my arm. Yeah, that, yeah. Tell me about. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it's a ship going up in flames. It says uh, it says uh, uh, a phrase here, um, and I love the story uh, when Hernando Cortez came from uh, from from Spain. Portugal to, to South America to conquer the new world. He was, he was determined uh, to, to, you know, conquer everyone. And um, when he got, when he sailed his ships to South America and docked, he had all of his men get all the cargo off the ships and put it on the shore, all the supplies of, of wheat and, and corn and gunpowder and just put it here on the shore. And then he told his men, take the ships out and burn them. So the phrase is burn the ships. 
And um, I don't know if they actually burned them, but they cut holes in them. They sunk the ships. And, uh, and it, you know, soldiers said, why, why did we do that? Those, are, those ships took years to build. Why did we do that? And he said, look, when things get tough, if there's a way to go back, you'll find it. And I don't want there to be any excuse for you to go back home. And so he, 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 his mission was to get his soldiers to conquer the Aztecs, to make it through South America, come back to the shore on the other side of the continent, and then sail home. And I think it, it serves as an illustration that there are plenty of good, helpful things in our lives that stop us from achieving greatness. And you sometimes have to burn them. You sometimes have to let them go so you can get to the next level. You got to cut off all roots of escape, all roots of retreat. Exactly yeah. right. Was it, uh, who was the general? Was it Patton? So they told him, we're surrounded on all sides. And he said, basically, fantastic. We could shoot in any direction and hit somebody. You know? <laughs> I don't know if it was Patton, but it's great. It's a great quote. Yeah. Um, okay. So thanks for sharing that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, edgy. And and what it is, yeah. what it is you do now as a as a turnaround specialist, um, you know clearly you can get the meeting, and clearly you're getting results uh, for your clients. Um, yeah. So let let I mean let let's talk about that. What what led you to start Edgy, the consulting firm as a turn as a turnaround specialist. Yeah, I just, I saw a gap in the marketplace, to be honest with you. I saw that, you know, really big companies, there's consultants for the McKinsey's, the Bain's, the Boston's, the Accenture's, you know, and then for startups, um, they're not really looking for advice to be, to be candid. They've got an idea in their mind, they're ready to pursue it. And if they're right, they make millions, you know, four or 5% of them are right. The rest of them fail and that's okay. Throw money at it and away we go. In this middle territory, you've got companies between 50 million and 300 million who could double or triple in size with a couple tweaks. You can go from 50 million to 150 million in one year, in one year with a couple tweaks. And that became my passion. How do I help them level up in some, in some really magnificent ways? And so that's what we do. We face superpowers for CEOs. What does that mean? It means you probably hire us to grow, but we help you with all kinds of things, everything from finding people who have money to invest to helping you sell your company when it, that's the right time to uh, you know, personnel issues and partnership issues and sometimes legal issues. It's, it's not just we come in with a, a playbook that is five steps and we do this on every customer. It's a set of values that we repeat time after time after time, uh, regardless of industry or location. What are the, um, so for, for businesses in that, you know, in that range, um, what, what do you often see as the biggest uh, blockades or barriers that are getting in their way? What, what causes them, what are, what are some of the commonalities you're seeing in causing these businesses to get stuck? Well, I mean, the, the most classic one is, is the what got you here won't get you there sort of, uh, you know, crack is that people assume, well, we've done it this way and it's worked. And, and you know, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a book, uh, Duggar, Charles Duggar wrote The Power of Habit. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he wrote this idea about how powerful habits are. We don't even think about it. You don't think about breathing. You don't think about chewing. You don't think about even brushing your teeth. You just kind of do these things just happen. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's the power of habits. Um, what happens is you have CEOs who are smart and persuasive and, and, and have spent their whole life, um, you know, working towards, you know, greatness. And so in their mind, doing what has worked equates to getting unstuck. And sadly, that's not, that's just not true. So what they do is do more of things that don't work or, you know, or, you know, the chances of it working go down and down and down and down and down over time. They do more of it, sometimes double or tripling their effort in that one area while missing out on a perspective or a view or an opportunity that could have results that are many, many, many times greater. And uh, do, do you see when it comes to CEOs um, of the, of, 
of this size organization, right? In in that in that mid market range, do you do you find that a majority of them started their careers as salespeople? And do you think salespeople make good CEOs? I I, I do think that sales guys make excellent CEOs. I do think that, and and I think. Um, uh, you need someone who, who, especially for mid-sized companies, is always selling the company, always selling the brand to the industry and selling the vision to the team. I think having those sales skills is, is, a, is a wonderful. In fact, if you look at mid-sized companies, uh, that, uh, many of the most successful ones are dominated by leaders who are, who are um, you know, this both focused. Um, it, you know, when I was, you know, young, uh, meaning 1920, I told my first coach who taught me Sandler sales, I wanted to be CEO one day. At 26, I was CEO. Um, looking back, I could see how that subconscious thinking led me down the path that put me to where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was young and stupid at the time, really stupid, but that desire, that need to want to always be the next thing it's kind of pushed me and it's still something that pushes me to this day. Are, do you, so twofold question here then, and it kind of goes back to finding that need and being obsessed and, you know, seeing those, those, those common traits and qualities and highly successful people. Do you, do you think, and given what you just said, do you have to never be satisfied in order to be successful? Are you satisfied? So, uh, so the answer to your last question is from time to time I am. Not always. Um, uh, I do think you have to be someone who is not satisfied to keep reaching that next level. Otherwise, it's too painful to, to, to do it. It's just too, too painful. And probably something you think of as unnecessary, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I often wonder whether or not um, people that have this. Um, so, so for, so I, okay. So I remember, so I've been in sales um, for 25 plus years. Um, my first, I, I know for me um, what propelled me. Uh, initially, like the one, the one big trait that I had when I had no experience in my first sales job was uh, selling health club memberships. And it was just a part-time job while I was going to college. But when I saw that there were, that the, that the managers were selling memberships and that they were making money, um, I, I wanted to take a crack at it. And all of a sudden I became just, just, completely obsessed, I guess, is the word with the idea of competing. Uh, my competitive spirit kicked in and I wanted to be, I wanted to do more sales yeah. while yeah. I was there than anyone else. And now there's a, there's, you know, there's a lot of, I, I'm just wondering, are competitors ever satisfied? And is that, you know, is that a happy life? I mean, are you, are you completely fulfilled? I always find myself always looking for that next thing. But I, I want to get back to now what I'm saying, because there's a question I have for you on this concept. So that trait, competitive spirit, competitiveness, that was always, for me, the launch pad for which every organization that I went to sell for, I became the number one salesperson. I eventually became sales leader, et cetera. But it started with competitive spirit and, and just mm-hmm. being a vicious, hungry competitor. Now, there are... Yeah. Now, I know for me, there are a lot of traits that come after that to ensure that you become a success and remain a success. So it's not just that. So I'm curious for you and whether it is for you or when you're coaching um, a company and ensuring that their sales team or the, the people that, are, um, that they're hiring uh, are, are right for the role, like what are the key traits for you that you look for that you see in yourself or that you look for in others that if you could, if you could list a few 
You got to mm-hmm. have this. You got to be this. You got to be this. You got to yeah. have that in order to be a, a, a success in sales. Two. So like two. Okay. You have to be hungry. Okay. You have to be teachable. That's it. That's all that exists. Hungry. Hunger leads to effort. Hunger leads to obsession. Hunger leads to urgency. Hunger leads to drive. Hunger leads to learning, curiosity, right? People aren't hungry enough. So you have to be hungry, and then two is teachable. Um, we all have to grow. We all have to grow. We, no matter where you are, there's another level of yourself that's possible. And if you're not teachable, not only are you a, a bit of a disgusting human, I don't mean that in a mean way, I just mean like, but to be honest with you, like think about some of the people that make you the angriest, right? They're probably not teachable, right? Someone you can never have a conversation with, uh, they're just not teachable. And so, you know, um, hungry and teachable, those are the two qualities we hire for, we fire for, um, you know, we kind of revolve, we, we, we revolve around. And it seems to, seems to be true. Every time we abandon it, it comes back to bite us. So tell us, I'm going to, all right, I'm going to, I want to come off that and I want to get into uh, edgy conversations, um, the book. So mm-hmm. t- tell us, tell us about, for those that don't know, um, tell us about your book, Edgy Conversations. Yeah. So edgy conversations uh, was the result of four years of me trying to figure out what makes people successful. Why is it that some people win when they probably shouldn't win? But why is it that people continue to like stay stuck when they should be growing, they should be successful. That led me to, uh, to, to write this book where we had over a thousand stories of high performers Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, I got to tell you, it's it's been it's been it, it, it was it was a it was an interesting project because it led us down some stories where, like in the book, we talk about a Hall of Fame football player bored with one leg. We talk about you know homeless people who went on to become you know very successful, and then there are many stories that didn't even make it into the book, but heartwarming and staggering when you think about the story behind the story, because that story looks a lot like you, looks a lot like me, looks a lot like the people who who are watching this show, is it's just, it's humanness, humanness, and all the flaws and ugliness with the ability to turn it all around and achieve greatness with a couple decisions, a couple decisions, and you've turned it all around. And, uh, you know, I was watching, it, it's interesting because you tell the, you, you tell the stories of, of people that most don't know about. Um, I know. And this is, this is something I find fascinating because, um, you know, and even I'm guilty of this. Like I, I, I show, I'm constantly showing videos to my sales teams to keep them motivated, stories of successful individuals. But I'm going after, you know, the names that a, a lot of us would recognize and telling their mm-hmm. story, right? And you're the first person I've seen do something like, you know, really unique when it comes to telling these stories. And you're, you're I mean, you're telling the story of, I watched that Dick Fosbury video you have on your site, for instance. Fascinating, I love the way you, nar- you told the story um, as, as, as we're watching the clips, the old clips of, of Dick Fosbury, and I've never heard of Dick Fosbury, right? Yeah. I've, yeah. I've, ne- I've yeah. never heard of it, but it's such an incredible story. And, you know, where did, like, you know, do you, in the book, where did you get the idea? Like, does, is, like, how did that come about to tell the stories of the unknown? You know, those unknown, yeah. right? Yeah, so what's actually cool is that I'm really actually proud of that fact of like a lot of these stories, you never heard their name. You know, you want to go to Wikipedia to make sure I'm not making it up, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> but but I just started poking around and I realized these people were everywhere and I had to start asking questions. 
what happened is then someone would say, oh, did you hear about this? Or did you hear about that? I would get all these stories starting to be sent to me to dig into. And then for me, it was not just the success story, but the story of the struggle until everybody else knew about the success, right? That's, that's, that was kind of the motivation behind all of it. It's not just talking about, oh, we did this and this, and then he went on to win. We're talking about, you know, the the ridicule. That's why, you know, I talk about the, the thing, believe, you know, the ridicule and the, the feeling of like, well, maybe this is not going to work until it did work. I, I, you know, I heard you talk about, you seem to find these nuggets of, um, you know, of, 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 of knowledge when it comes to like key moments in someone's history, because I, I think I heard you say, for instance, that um, uh, Steve Jobs, for instance, you know, he, who was he? He was just working in a factory. Bezos was uh, working at McDonald's, right? Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know Bezos worked at McDonald's. And yeah. you made, yeah. you made a great point about um, how we you know, we ne we don't see, we we don't we don't see the the ugly dark underbelly. Uh, we only see that peak, uh, and most people see that and they're like, "Oh, I can never get there." I think, but yeah, right. You're ma you're making the point that no, no, wait a second. Um, you actually can get there because <laughs> Steve Steve Jobs was just working in a factory in Alabama. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, 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 what's interesting is that um, it's Ken Cook, by the way, uh, 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 the uh, who took over after Steve Jobs was was the one working at a factory. But okay, it, it's 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 everyone knows the person after. I like the person in. I like the person in the not yet, right? So it's like, oh, I've been dieting for four weeks. It's not working. You're right. Not yet. You know, I've been, you know, trying this new skill for two months and it's not working. Not yet, you know. And so we often live in this not yet zone. Your salespeople do. My salespeople do. You know, I'm not there yet. Not yet. That doesn't mean you won't get there. It means you're not there yet, you know. Uh, you wouldn't hop in your car on a cross-country trip and start whining five minutes in that you're not there. You, you know it's a journey. I'm not there. It's not yet. Uh, and I think that's part of the discussion we'd often know talk about is most of our success books, even our, our 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 schooling system, our college system, all say things like this: you know, do these things and you'll be successful. And so when you do those things that are successful, people naturally assume they've done something wrong. What they haven't accounted for is sometimes you've done everything right, but it's just not time for the harvest yet. The harvest happens. But you don't, you know, you can't just decide, I want the harvest to happen tomorrow. Harvest happens when the harvest happens. And that's important. Yeah, it, you know, it, again, I think it's your, 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 your site and your book, um, you know, talk about, talk about a lot of these, these I highly recommend it. It's very motivational. Um, I find myself, you know, watching some of the stuff and looking at your content and it's, it's very inspiring and I pride myself on inspiring others. Uh, and if I can connect them to someone who inspires me, then that's, that's, that's huge because I feel like I'm, I'm adding value to people's lives. Um, so tell me what, in, so what inspires Dan Walshman, right? So you're, you know, you're inspiring a lot of people. What inspires you? A lot, a lot. I mean, a lot. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a voracious reader and I read a lot of biographies. I don't really read many business books, don't really read any self-help books. It's really all um, biographies and, and period pieces. And I, 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 I hear these stories and it inspires me. Again, it's stories. It goes back to the stories, right? So um, is that, I mean, I, I, I see as an artist, I see what people do in their business and it's something I hadn't even thought about. And I'm like, Oh, that's really cool. You know? And so I would say, I think I live, uh, I think a, a lot of these, you, I think you'd be surprised of the times I'm not inspired more than times than I am, you know, by just the people that I'm around and the opportunities that I, that I get to be a part of. Um, it, 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 it's just ordinary people doing extraordinary things. 
uh, I've heard you talk about um, one of the things that you and your company, Edgy, uh, what, what you do for businesses and for, and for CEOs is that you help them see the world in a different way. You talked about, you know, they, they have these habits that made them successful. Uh, and mm-hmm. so right there, they've got those habits um, and they on, it's only taken them so far. Um, you know, how do you, so, so how do you get them to see things in, in, in a different light? Well, sometimes you have to do it for them. It's a big piece of it. I mean, people, people, um, once they see greatness beginning to form can often not just replicate what they've seen, but make it even better. I think that's important. It's not, sometimes you, you can shout at somebody and shout at somebody because they can't ride the bike. Sometimes you got to help them hop on the bike, hold the bike, you know, and help them as they pedal until they've got it on their own. I think that's what's missing a lot from the, uh, the, many of the discussions around business and business growth is that people want to tell you, buy my book, I've got 17 things, but, you know, the real magic happens when you actually do it with somebody, hand in hand, you know, elbow to elbow, you know, that's where you, that's where you realize breakthrough. One more question for you. One more question. So you help others, you know, kind of, break the paradigm that they're, that they're living under um, and see the world in a different way. How do you see the world in a different way from others? Yeah. So a couple of things. One, I, it's really big for me that I'm reading, always reading, um, soaking in the perspectives of others, soaking in the stories and uh, warnings of, of a good and sometimes bad journeys. Meditation is a big one. Um, uh, pushing myself into situations that are uncomfortable, knowing that on the other end of that uncomfortable situation is going to be growth, right? Deliberate, putting yourself in the cocoon deliberately so that you can come out the other side stronger and better for it. Sometimes that's physical challenge. Sometimes it's emotional challenges. Sometimes it's business challenges. Sometimes it's all in the same exact experience. Um, and so um, I think those are a couple of things I'm doing where I'm, where, where I'm, I'm, I'm Deliberately putting myself in situations where, you know, either greatness or epic failure are your are, are your only two options. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, I I think uh, first of all, I think that your your advice is very, um, very down to earth, very sensible, but it's also, you know, it, it is somewhat um, epic and grand in you know, in its scale and in its scheme, um, in its scale, um, it is, you know, you, you, you absolutely, I think, whether you are a CEO looking for superpowers or whether you're, you're, you're a salesperson starting their first job, I think a lot of what you say puts the, the big and the grandiose within reach of anybody. And, you know, there, there's so many sales books out there. There's so many self-help books out there. Um, but I so highly recommend your blog and your content because you, you know, you will give, you know, someone, someone goes online looking for a sales book. It's their first sales job. You know, they're seeing, you know, they're, they're seeing spin selling. They're seeing challenger sale. They're seeing, right. Miller Hyman. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're seeing all these, there's these, these things. And, you know, it's almost like it's this whole like you college course I got to figure out. There's a whole new world I've got to, and it could be daunting. But you know, you bring the the sexy and the the stuff that sizzles uh, to someone who wants to do great things and kind of shows them that hey, there's a bridge to do, there's a bridge to get there. So I thank you for that, and you know, I thank, thank you. you. I thank you for being on the show. Where can the listeners find you? Yeah. Go to danwaltschmidt.com, right? Um, you can get a free copy of the book if you want. We sold now 600,000 copies around the world, so it's become a huge bestseller. Uh, and um, 
you know, we'd, we'd love to have you uh, be in the movement, right? Be in the movement, get involved. And so there's a lot of free stuff you can, you can get. Um, I always tell people, look, it's, it's free from my end. So if you won't invest in you, that tells you everything you need to know about your hopes and dreams. There you go. Exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff, Dan. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, you know, thanks again for yeah. doing the show and just, yeah, I, I look forward to, to reading and watching more of your content. Well, thanks for having me. My, my pleasure. Massive success. Uh, and, uh, you know, wishing you all the best. Thank you.